0: Good morning, good evening, assalamu alaikum. I'm Sam Burr and welcome to The Burr Grinder Show. I talk to people every single day about their grind and their hustles in life. My name is Sam Burr and this is a burr grinder. I use it every day and I love it. So the burr grinder is a good name. It makes sense. I know it's confused a small number of you, but this isn't some extravagant profile of mine on the gay dating app grinder. I'm not gay. This is a daily show where I have one hour long conversations with a new guest every single day. We talk about what they're grinding for in their life, whether it be something in their career, their studies, professional sport or something in their family. Think of it as kind of like a Joe Rogan experience with a Muslim slant. But today I'm going to do the first show on my own just to introduce myself and just to bring you guys along the journey with me a little bit and share with you how I went from this little seaside village to study Arabic in Palestine, to learn the Somali language, to run multiple online businesses, and now launching our own new show. So let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, Assalamu alaikum. In today's video, it's going to be quite casual, inshallah. I mean, generally, the nature of these shows is that they are quite casual sort of conversations. And I thought before I have any guests on the show, what would be quite nice to do would be for me to have a conversation with you. It's kind of a one-way conversation, obviously. But um, I thought I'd just speak directly to the camera for this first episode, or for those of you who are listening on the podcast only. Um, you can come over to the YouTube channel if you want to see the video of this, or you know, if you're just listening, then know that I'm speaking directly to you and thinking about the audience that we will have, inshallah. So, um, so firstly, I just want to introduce myself a little bit more so you know what I do and kind of where I've come from. And then we might do things in a little bit more of a linear way. So I might kind, of give you a, uh, might kind of give you kind of an intro, a little bit of a brief bio on myself. And then I'll kind of take you on the journey of how we actually ended up here. So my name is Sam Burr. No middle names. Bland, boring, just the way we like it. White person's name, Sam. I have an older brother called Jack. Little sister called Penny. And uh, we were all born in Northampton. And um, yeah, and I'm 27 now, so I was born in 1993. I'm married, um, very happily married, alhamdulillah. i um, been married for about five years. I have two little boys, one my eldest, Yusuf, who is four, and my y- youngest, Yunus, who is 10 months. Um, professionally, um, I run a few projects. So one of them is the Arabic in 60 Steps program, which we have 500 students on already, and we're going to open up the doors to accept another batch of 60 or 70 students sh- soon, inshallah. Um, I also run a website called Somalilanguage.com. I own Somalilanguage.com, which is a library of resources to learn the Somali language. So those languages are really big passions of mine. they things I really love deeply. And, um, and I love language learning in general. You know, other languages that I know are Spanish and British Sign Language as well. Um, those, are my, those are my languages and I love them. And I'd also like to learn Swahili eventually as well. Um, So that's kind of what I do professionally, right? So those are kind of two projects that I have that I've built over the years, and they're kind of running in the background. But my kind of majority of my day-to-day is running this show now. Um, This is a daily show where I'm going to be having one-hour-long conversations with people who I admire, people who are achieving things in their lives, people who have influenced me and are influencing others from a range of different disciplines. You know, it might be people who are striving for something in their career. It could be something in sports. It could be something in their family um you know just any kind of grind whatever their grind is you know obviously with the name of this being the burr grinder it's about the nature of grinding for things in your life because it's something that we can all relate to you know and how hard you grind for whatever you want in life is is a variable that we're all in control of you know there are lots of other things in our environment which we don't have control of what other people will say to us The decisions that other people will make, but something that we can control is how hard we work, is the amount of effort we put into something, the decisions that we make to allocate time that are positive, that contribute to the positive things that we want in life rather than spending our time on things which do not. So, um, so those are the kind of guests that we have. As I'm recording this right now, I've already recorded a few of the episodes with a few of our earliest guests. We have a fitness professional, we have an amateur MMA fighter, as well as a professional Arabic teacher. And then we have other people who are, who have large audiences and are achieving great things in their own disciplines as well, already booked into. So you have lots of really nice shows to look forward to inshallah. So that's kind of where I'm at now, right? So if we can kind of turn the clock back a little bit to obviously I've already mentioned that I was born in Northampton, 1993 um I grew up in this sort of working class town I mean it's it's a working class large village it's not really a town actually called Long Buckby in the East Midlands in Northamptonshire and um you know it's it's, it's working class, but there's a lot of kind of aspiring middle class. That's a term that, that I like to use for it. Like people who are working class, but lived at just the right period where they got on the property market or, um, you know, yeah, they bought property or something like that. Like the generation of my parents had it real easy. Like They've got a really they've had a really good generation to capitalize and make more money. So, um, so a lot of people in that position got into like a, a position of being middle class out of that. And my parents were included in that. They bought property at the right time. They worked hard. And when I was 11, uh, my family made the decision to move us to Cornwall. Um, The decision was mainly down to us not being in a very positive environment. You know, that village had kind of an increasing issue with drug use and general crime and as well as there just not being a nice vibe at the school and stuff like that, too. So my parents made the decision to both move to Cornwall and we moved to a beautiful little village um, down on the south coast of Cornwall. And uh, that's where my family will still live now. And, um, and that's where I grew up. I went to a really, really safe school called the Roseland, um, very kind of homogenous in terms of culturally, like what was going on there. Like, I'd, I don't think I met a Muslim until I actually was one. Um, I only met maybe three or four black people or people of a different different ethnicity. I, ha- I had what, a real best friend of mine called Daniel. Um, he's, he's still a best friend of mine, just we're, we're not in touch so much anymore because we've moved on and done other things. But um, but Daniel's half Indian, and we thought of him as like really exotic. Like when I first met him, he was like the same as like a black dude. Like he was that. It was considered like that different to us. Um, but he he ended up becoming like a real best friend of mine, and um, I'm still in touch with him every now and again. So that's kind of the environment that I grew up in. And, um, so went to school, uh, when I was in sort of year nine, I was about 14, we had this kind of foreign exchange trip where I went to New Zealand and I went to school in New Zealand for, you know, a short period. And, um, and that really changed my life. Like if I had to think about where there was a turning point uh, and I made decisions that really affected the rest of the, the success that I've had in my life and challenges I've had in my life. Like I, I think New Zealand was the real turning point because I got on the flight to fly to New Zealand when I was 14 and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life was to become a chef like down here in Cornwall restaurants are kind of our biggest they're our biggest industry down here you know people coming down on holiday and a lot of people who live down here just have money a lot of people retire to Cornwall and restaurants do quite well so I wanted to be a chef and um, that was kind of my dream it was just to you know become a chef and work in a restaurant and maybe earn enough money to start my own restaurant one day and um, in New Zealand some some things happened that really changed that like number one was I met people from all over the world obviously I went went to a school in Rotorua in New Zealand and it's quite multicultural like there's a lot of Maoris there's a lot of like original Maoris there which is why it was chosen for us to go there for the exchange because we were going to learn about Maori culture and um, obviously a lot of white people but the white people there are sort of I don't remember them being like the majority there like I was used to a lot of Chinese people a lot of Koreans um, a lot of Japanese people as well as people from the Pacific Islands as well And in that, I met a lot of people who spoke multiple languages. And um, I remember in one of the first assemblies that we had there, I remember watching some of the older students, some of the sixth formers, um, delivering speeches for some of the other exchange students who'd come from China or Japan or from Korea. And I saw people who looked like me, with like white faces like me, and sounds come out of their faces that they just didn't match up, and it fascinated me. But what fascinated me even more was that they weren't that smart. You know, like some of those six formers, like I'd I'd sat next to them in the cafe before, or whatever, or I'd like had lunch near them and heard their conversations and stuff. And these people who had learned a language, and it was so impressive to see people who were obviously just white like me speaking like perfect Korean or perfect Chinese, and um, that was really amazing. So I thought, well, these people aren't that smart. Like I could do that with a bit of enthusiasm, you know, with a bit of effort, I could do that. And um, when I was there, I was actually living with a guy who um, who was like from another school who also came on that trip from from Cornwall. A guy who spoke Spanish as well. I remember even hearing him like speak Spanish on the phone to his dad, and then speak English like perfectly to me. And just on that holiday, like I learned so much Spanish from him, you know. And it just kind of made me realise how if we're to actually apply ourselves, like we can we can learn a lot like really quickly if, if we actually if we actually we actually try. Like most people out there, especially at that age, they're not really trying anything. Do you know what I mean? We kind of have school imposed on us and we go and we do the stuff, but not not many people haven't and I certainly haven't met many people who are sort of 15, 14, 16 years old. Like you're of an age at that point where you can change your life. Like you can you can adjust your habits and your routines and your just aptitude for the world to make differences that will change your whole life at that age. But so many students just aren't doing it. They're not using it. And I had the great fortune. that I had that bit of inspiration at that age. And that that encouraged me to change. And um, so on return, I knew that I wanted to learn languages. The languages were just something really amazing. Like, I love having conversations with people. I love, you know, just seeing the world through different eyes. And, and a language is essentially different eyes. It's essentially a different, um, you know, a different pair of spectacles that you're putting on to look at the world with. Because languages aren't just... They're not just translations of each other. Like if we're to articulate something simple in English, something like I gazed out the window at the hills and the sea that translated into another language can have all sorts of different connotations. You know, it can be tied into different proverbs that they have. It can be tied into rituals that they have. It can be tied into a history that they have connected to different things. And I found that fascinating. So I started kind of self teaching myself Chinese, started improving my Spanish. yeah, those were the ones that I focused on. I, I, I was very fortunate to have an auntie of mine who used to be a, a tech writer for Google. And I remember her telling me at one of the talks that she went to where some of the founders of Google were speaking, Sergey and Larry. They were saying that if they were to have children, the advice that they'd give them would be to learn Mandarin. I remember my auntie telling me that and I was like, right, that's it, I'm going to learn Mandarin. So um, so I went back to school, obviously, that next year, year 10 or year 11. Here in the UK, for those of you aren't in the UK, that means that you're sort of 15, 16 years old. And I just worked really hard. Like, I just worked really hard. And I'd get up, like, a couple of hours early before school to learn Chinese, to learn Spanish, to study things that I wanted to do, to try to improve myself, to go on runs. And at at that stage as well was when I was accepted to play rugby for Cornwall. Down here in Cornwall, rugby's a big deal. Like, down here, it's more important. It's, It's more popular than football down here. Like, it's rugby's a big deal down here. So, um, yeah, and I was accepted, um, to play rugby for Cornwall. It was, um, you know, it was a huge um, honour to to wear the, uh, the the black and gold jersey and represent this county in in rugby. So, yeah. So so you know some some real hard work went into some things that I achieved at that age in my life and came out of school with okay GCSEs. I mean, the turnaround was big because I went into that just not caring at all. It was like like I need just some basic grades just so i can be a chef that was all i cared about so so that so although like the grades weren't amazing we're not talking about like 10a stars or whatever the turnaround was really big so um got accepted into college and uh studied spanish studied study of religions studied english literature and a subject called world development and um so the one that changed my life the most, obviously, a study of religions. Like I had the opportunity to. I come from a Christian background myself, but that a lot of you who are in the UK, you probably are familiar with. Sort of working class people who are from a CV background. The the Christianity is um, is more. It's more like just saying, "Yep, yeah, I'm, I'm, I believe that," and then you go to heaven. <laughs> like that. That isn't pure Christianity. That isn't like that. Isn't like Trinitarian. That isn't like the, the Trinitarian salvation dogma, but that's that's kind of what we grew up with. But I kind of did my own searching for that. Like all the people who know me as I grew up knew that I was religious and stuff. And um, like I came to learn about um, Christianity on quite a deep level. Like I, I understood the concept of salvation. I understood the concept of the Trinity. Um, you know, I, I engaged with the Bible. I wouldn't say that I was like a, I'm an avid daily reader, but went to church and stuff. And, you know, I, I believe that I understood. I understood Christianity. Um, and when I study world religions, I mean, I had the opportunity to study Hinduism, I had the opportunity to study Buddhism, I had the opportunity to study Taoism and Zoroastrianism and all, all, all kinds of different religions. And like not, not even just kind of the main, you know, the main sort of Islam, Judaism, Christianity, like so you even got to study like real, real like minority religions. Like Taoism from China is a good example of that. And when I came across Islam, Islam is so it sort of just tied the whole history together. You know, there are so many sort of unanswered questions that 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 Islam really tied together. And um, you know, I think if you're if you're going to claim a religion, if you're going to claim that you believe in God, if you're if you're going to if you're going to have the belief that you believe in heaven and hell, you've got to take this really seriously. Like, you can't make that claim and then say it doesn't matter what religion you are. Do you know what I mean? You, you can't have, hold both of those at the same time. So the conviction that I kind of got from Christianity led to the conviction that I needed to actually change my mind about some things. And that's not easy to do like it's really not easy to to be entrenched in a belief of some kind and, and to change that it can feel embarrassing or it can feel um it can feel just upsetting and unnerving when you when you when you change your mind about something like that and um know so i kind of came to study islam and came to believe that i understood islam and it it made sense from my understanding of the other world religions and the history of it that it all came together with this final message that that god would preserve for us until now and the fact that the very words that were uttered by the prophet muhammad peace be upon him it's important to us that they're preserved now and i found it fascinating it's even observable in the muslim community you know like until now like sometimes i sometimes i lead the prayers at a mosque in cornwall and i also did when i was at college at a university rather and you can't even utter a vowel wrong in the quran without people correcting you behind you like it's entrenched in a centuries old culture that you that you do not change the quran right so the, so the very words that came out of the mouth of the prophet is important. Whereas obviously from, from my own tradition, from Christianity, it's not just Christianity or, or most world religions are like this. Either they don't know what language they were uttered in or they're not in the language they were uttered in now. Or even if they, or even if they are known, then most of the people who practice don't understand the, the, the significance of that. Because, you know, like if you haven't heard someone speak in their original language, you don't really know them. Like, like, I've experienced that. Obviously, I'm married to a woman whose first language is Somali. And, like, if I didn't speak Somali, I don't think I could really know her. Like, if she didn't speak English, I don't think she could really know me. You know, there's there's something really unique about how languages how languages come from a person who has been influenced by that language their whole life. And um, I found Islam so profound in that way. And um, so, I mean, that, that was kind of maybe sometime during my first year of college when when it kind of went from a point of me just studying islam to being like look i i need to, i need to embrace this like and you know and so so it was maybe 2010 i think when i when i found a mosque here in cornwall and i eventually took my shahada which is like kind of the testimony of faith where you where you kind of announce that you are a muslim but that process isn't complicated like in some religions it's very complicated you need a really sort of specific ritual but in islam you've just got to mean it like becoming a muslim coming back to god is just meaning it you know, like you, you just have to attest to the beliefs. And if you hold the beliefs, then you're a Muslim. Right. Regardless of what you sort of p- portray that you commit to the community or anything like that. Those things are secondary. So. Um, so I was a Muslim. Right. At like 17. Right. I'd never met a Muslim in my life. OK. It's, it's all just from my own research and my own study. Um, all the books that I could find in the library, all the kind of articles I could find online or whatever. And I started to teach myself Arabic. And um, yeah, I had this amazing experience where in my second year of college, I, we went to Granada, which is a place in the south of Spain, which has like a really heavy Arab influence still, to, still, to, still, to today, to, still until today. And um, yeah, there, like I, I met other Muslims and other Arabic speakers. And um, yeah, that was kind of a really nice kind of tying together of, uh, of all of it. And so at that point, I applied to study Arabic at university. And uh, I was accepted to study Arabic at SOAS, which is the School of Oriental and African Studies. And at that time, it was kind of regarded as like one of the best language schools in the West in of the Western world, really. Um, now, I'm not sure where it stands in the rankings like that, but back then it was. And um, so, yeah, I had to move to London. I had to leave my nice seaside home in Cornwall to go and live in a little box in London. And, um, yeah, I went to Palestine in my third year studied Arabic in Palestine I have a whole episode on the Arabic with Sam podcast on that on my experience in Palestine so we don't need to go into too much detail about that now but uh, when I returned from Palestine um was when I learned Somali was when I kind of came across studying Somali I remember having a meeting with my with my course convener and I'd done a dissertation in Palestine like I'd, at the university in Palestine I'd done a dissertation written it in Arabic and everything and um so I didn't have to do a dissertation when I came back and I went to go and see the course convener and he was like it was like, well, you don't need to do a, you don't need to do a dissertation, but you should do something else, he was like, you should do Somali, I was like, what do you mean, it was like, yeah, you should do Somali, because, like, when else are you ever going to get an opportunity to learn a language like that, and so I took Somali, and in my my final year at university, and, um, you know, that's influenced so much, that that's actually happened after, after that, you know, and uh, in my final year, at the same time, I met my wife, Uh, my wife was studying sign language, and, um, yeah so I yeah I met her and we got married um pretty much as soon as we well not not as we graduated maybe that's in the September of that year so that was 2015. Um, I'd started work as a primary school teacher at that point I got a job as a primary school teacher out of uh, out of university in East London and I was terrible at my job like I was awful at it not bad at the teaching Like, I still remember those kids. And honestly, I love them so much. Those kids, like when you when you have a room of eight year olds and you see them for hours a day, seven hours a day you spend with these kids. Like you you spend more more focused and and like intense time with those children than maybe their parents do. You know, it's, it's really intense. And I, you know, even until today, I miss so much just calling out their names for the register. Hearing them all say, good morning, Mr. Burr. Good morning, Mr. Burr. You know, even even when I go to East London sometimes to go and visit, you know, old students or whatever, or if I'm there for whatever reason, sometimes I'll just stop outside that school and, you know, it even makes me sad that my classroom was on the other side of the school, because I'd love to see their work up in the window. Like, I'd love to see what some of the children that I used to teach, what work they're doing now. It's such a deep, it's such a, like, a deep connection that you get with these kids when you teach them. You start to, like, see them in your dreams and stuff. It's kind of eerie. But, um, but anyway, so... That that job didn't really work out for me. I wasn't very good at it for a start. Like like teaching in this country and especially in an academy school, it's it's very um, it's very kind of corporate and business like. You spend quite a lot of time in meetings and you spend a lot of time doing admin type work, rather than actually delivery of lessons and, and and spending time with the children. And um, yeah, and it just I don't know if I put too much pressure on myself. I don't know if like you know I don't know if the fact that I got married just two weeks into the job and and at the same time as the job, you're also having to do you're also having to study education at the same time as being a full-time teacher and it's it's a lot you know and, and my wife also had some health issues and stuff back then and I'd never really, ha- I'd never really like failed at anything before. I'd never kind of had to drop out of anything. It'd always been like I'd done my GCSEs and they'd gone well, and then I went on to do A levels and those two years had gone well. Then I went on to do my four-year degree and they went well. And I expected to do a two-year teacher training and that go well, and then we do, you know, a certain, you know, I do, I do five years as a classroom teacher and that go well. And I expected to get promoted to like a head of department and that go well. Then become a deputy head teacher and that go well. And like I just kind of expected all of that to happen, and and it didn't and i like i if i hadn't have quit it, i probably would have got sacked like i was i wasn't very good at it and also i had a conflict in myself because um because i like i couldn't pray at work and stuff either like it made it made upholding the salah the daily prayers really difficult at, at work as well and so i had a conflict with that and then also just things that you have to teach you know i found things in the curriculum kind of upsetting and stuff like I, the fact that we i was teaching on black during black history month and i remember delivering like this sort of tokenistic lesson on Muhammad Ali or something and, and thinking like why is it that I've got a room of like loads of black kids here and like like most of them cannot name a significant black person in western history right like the and the amount of time that we've had black people in this country and America's our black people in their country and stuff and like we don't learn like about any black authors or about black contributors in any way like it just boils down to one sort of tokenistic lesson where we make a poster during black history month or something then the poster goes up on the wall about Muhammad Ali for a week and then it comes down and that's it it's just completely whitewashed after that there's so many things like that that just I just I just found so flawed so I left kind of with nothing really um and I just I knew that I wanted to start something of my own and um, my wife had told me that she was pregnant like a month before I quit. And most people kind of they think, OK, if, you, if your wife's pregnant, if you've got a job, you need to keep your job no matter what, no matter how miserable it makes you. But at that point, I just kind of uh, I, I didn't think like that for some reason. I thought, well, if my wife's pregnant, I'm going to have a child that I want to spend time with. I'm, I'm going to have a child. I'm gonna, I, I want to have a balanced life growing up. So I need to build something up for myself, you know, to have a more balanced life, to have potential potential to earn more money. Not that that's easy, but to at least have the potential for it. So I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know anything about running an online business at that point. Like I, So I just started making videos and I just started going to people's houses and teaching their kids. You know, the, the, where I started making videos was this YouTube channel just called the Sam of Somalia channel. I was doing little Somali language lessons and I kind of intuitively knew that that would do well because the Somali people, they support things about Somalia and they're hungry consumers of online content, it seems, and they share things. So I thought, look, the Somali people will help me out with this like so so I just started sharing bits of Somali that I was learning like I'd recently got married to a Somali woman I'd done one year of learning Somali at university so like I knew a bit and I knew that I could share some stuff that was educational and sincere and um you know that started to go well and then just my kind of teaching Arabic to kids I started to think like why am I why am I turning up to lessons and just thinking of what to teach them? Like, Why don't I write something that I can teach all of them and I can have the same curriculum for all of them? Because they will pretty much want the same things. And, and the, the things that I started to do then became what is the Arabic in 60 Steps program now. And, um, you know, that YouTube channel, the Sam of Somalia channel, is what has kind of become Somalilanguage.com now. Yeah, so, um, you know, th- th- those kinds of businesses grew and it's just been working on them and adjusting them and trying to figure out what I... What, I, what I'm going to contribute to the world, you know, because it's not its not about making money. There's lots of much easier ways to make money. Like, if, you, if you're if you out just to make money, you don't teach languages, certainly not Arabic and Somali. Like, if, if that's your only goal, like, you, you don't do that. You do things that are much easier than that. <laughs> you know, you do consulting or something, or you do something that you can charge a premium, or you sell a $1,000 course or something like that. That's, that's things that people do these days if their main goal is earning money. And, um... So, all of that seems like a blur, really. From then, you know that 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 would be sort of beginning of two thousand and sixteen, and just so much has, has evolved from there, really. I mean, the, you know, the Sam of Somalia channel now, nearly thirty thousand subscribers we have over there. The Arabic in sixty steps program now is entirely online. I, don't, I do very very little kind of one to one, although all the students on that program have access to my phone number. I have a mobile phone right here that I turn on every single day when I answer all of the students questions every single day on the Arabic in 60 steps program but it's all moved online and and somalilanguage.com is a subscription um subscription model uh, where students pay like five pound a month and they get access to everything forever and um and that's it where are we what else is missing from that so we had our second baby Eunice 10 months ago um yeah he just kind of fell into place in there and that pretty much brings us up to the launch of the bird grinder show so perhaps a question that we finish on is why do i want to launch the bird grinder show why don't i just focus on the other two things well you know i i love to have conversations with people and continue my learning and to continue to talk about a range of different things because i'm not not only interested in arabic and somali like i love business and running online companies I love kind of lifestyle design, you know, a lot of a lot of why I wanted to run online companies isn't just for for money or just for something to do. It's because I care about lifestyle design. I care about you fashioning your life in a way where you can live where you want to and you can have the routines that you want to and you can uphold the things that are really fulfilling for your life. And so I care about that. I care about wildlife, like I care deeply about animals and about wildlife and nature and especially African, African wildlife. There's even other things like coffee that I love. Not not just I don't mean like I just like going to Costa with my mates and having a coffee. I mean I'm interested in the history of it, in the growing of it, in the roasting of it, in the preparing of it, in the in the industry and in the business of it. I love sport, you know, I love jujitsu, I love martial arts, and there's lots, lots of kind of Things where I thought we could create this platform where I'd have an opportunity to speak to people who are achieving things in all these different areas. Not, not, not just in those areas that I'm interested in, but but it well, but if they're if they're kind of grinding and achieving great things, whatever their kind of niche or their industry is, and that's something we can all learn from, something we can all relate to. And it's an opportunity for me to project my best self out into the world, I think, as well by doing that. So that's everything for the first episode of the Burr Grinder Show. I hope you've enjoyed it and if you did then I'd really like to ask you to subscribe. Uh, please subscribe to our channel and please check out Please check out the show on all our different platforms as well. I'm making an effort working really hard to uh, build our audience on TikTok, to build it on Instagram, to build it on Snapchat, to build it on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on all the different podcast platforms and, and, and even on Twitch as well. I'm hoping to do like a games night um, every week on Twitch. We might go for Wednesday evening or something on Twitch but on all of them it's just the burr grinder. The burr grinder is the name on all of them so um yeah so please on whatever platform you enjoy taking part in the show then um you like to watch it you want to engage with me you want to chat with me and socialize with me and to hang out with me then whatever platforms fit best for you then uh, please go and follow and please support over there so that is everything for this video thank you so much for joining me for this introduction episode and um yeah join us tomorrow for our next episode of the bird grinder show so see you guys in the next one have a great day and alaikum